Galatians is the backbone and background for every great spiritual movement and revival that has taken place in the past 1900 years. That's the commendation our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, gives us as we begin this new study in God's Word. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz. Now, when he first gave this message, Dr. McGee recorded a quick introduction to the study. So let's listen to that now and then meet back here again as we pray. The Bible bus is now rolling into Galatian country in Asia Minor. And we've come to a very wonderful epistle, and I'm delighted that we are there. I trust that you have your notes and outlines by now. If not, be sure and write in and ask for yours. We'd like for you to have them of this little book because it is so important. This is the book that was nailed to the masthead of the Reformation, the great spiritual movement that took place in England during the time of Wesley and under his leadership, why it had its background, the epistle to the Galatians. So we've come to a very interesting book that's had a very interesting history, by the way. I personally believe that there will not be another spiritual movement unless it is based, as it has been in the past, on the gospel of the grace of God as it is put down in the epistle to the Galatians. That's just how important that it is. I have been emphasizing this for years. It's greatly misused and abused, of course, but by and large, it is being declared today, and it is an occasion for rejoicing. That's a great introduction. Are you ready to get started? Well, to help us navigate through Galatians, Dr. McGee will mention his notes and outlines several times today. You can get your free copy in a couple of different formats. First, there's the notes and outlines for every individual book that we study. That's available to download in PDF form when you visit ttb.org forward slash notes. And then to make things a little easier, we've also compiled the notes and outlines for all of Dr. McGee's five-year studies into a single volume. It's called Briefing the Bible. Now, you can get an abridged version of Briefing the Bible for free by simply calling us. We'll send it to you. It's a print version. You can also go online to Amazon and download a Kindle version for 99 cents. But I do recommend that you download the digital version as opposed to the print, by the way, because it contains everything that you're going to need for our study. You can download it right now for free at our site, ttb.org, and start using it today or go to Kindle and download it for 99 cents. Or request your paperback copy online or at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that's 1-800-65-BIBLE or ttb.org. And while you're at ttb.org, why don't you download your free copy of our Galatians Bible Companion as well. With a quick synopsis of each study, some really terrific questions to help you reflect on what you're learning, and the links to Dr. McGee's teachings as well as our passage in God's Word. It's really a great tool to help you dig deeper each day, and it's perfect to be used in a small group. You can also download it for free and make copies, as many as you need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the timeless truth revealed in this letter to the church in Galatia. May we know and love you better as we travel these important pages of your word. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's begin in Galatians 1 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today, friends, we come to the epistle to the Galatians, 
And there's quite a bit of preliminary here that I'd like to put down today. And if you can get this in your mind and heart, I believe that it will make this epistle probably more meaningful to you than any in the Scripture. At least, it'll make the gospel clear to you. Now, we believe that Paul wrote this epistle to the Galatian churches on his third missionary journey from Ephesus. He had just visited them, had come through that area, and discovered that the Judaizers had followed him, and the churches there were listening to the Judaizers. And Paul wrote this letter to counteract their message and to state clearly what the gospel was. Now, the thing that's so important to you and me relative to the epistle to the Galatians is the people to whom it was sent. That is not always true in the other epistles, but it certainly is true here that you and I need to know the background. We have here the theory, and I'm not going into this. Those of you who are acquainted with introductory matters concerning the books of the Bible know that I do not dwell on these matters that today are the subject of the higher critics. For instance, there's what is known as the North Galatian and the South Galatian theories. And to me, the answer is just simply this, that Paul is writing to all the churches in Galatia. It was a rather lengthy area, and it was a very prominent area. And in that section was a great population and many churches had been established there. The word Galatians could have an ethnographic sense. That would refer to the nationality of the people, or it could be used in a geographic sense, which would refer to the Roman province by that name. Now, regardless of the position which is taken, there is a common blood strain which identified people in that area where there was a mixture population. Now, the people for whom the province was named were Gauls. They were a Celtic tribe from the same stock which inhabited France. The way they got there can be traced, by the way, in history. In the 4th century B.C., they invaded the Roman Empire and actually sacked Rome. And later they crossed into Greece and they captured Delphi in 280 B.C., and then they were warlike people and on the move. And at the invitation of Nicomedes I, who was king of Bithynia, and that is an area in Asia Minor, they crossed over into Asia Minor to help him in a civil war. Well, they were warlike people, and they soon established themselves in Asia Minor. In fact, they liked it there. Delightful climate, a beautiful country. I know that I was very pleasantly surprised to visit in Turkey to find out what a delightful place it is along the Aegean and inland in that area and also along the Mediterranean. Now, in 189 B.C., these Celtic tribes were made subjects of the Roman Empire and they became a province. And their boundaries varied. And for many years, they retained their customs and language. 
and the churches Paul established on his first missionary journey, they were included at one time in the territory of Galatia. And this is the name which Paul would normally give to these churches. Now, these Gallic Celts, they had very much the same temperament and characteristics of the American population, that is, those of us who came out of Europe or England. And it's interesting to notice what has been said concerning our ancestors. As you well know, there were wild, fierce Germanic tribes, many of them, and Celtic tribes in France. And Caesar had this to say concerning them. Listen to this. The infirmity of the Gauls is that they're fickle in their resolves, fond of change, and not to be trusted. Well, doesn't that describe the American population today, the bulk of them? Fickle in their resolves. Well, one time it was the yo-yo, and my, it was quite a fad. Then there was the hula hoop, and my, anything that comes along, why, we go for it. We are fickle in our resolves. We're fond of change. We want a new car every year. We want the latest model. And we like to get the magazine that's dated next week. That's the picture of these people. And another has described them as frank, impetuous, impressible, eminently intelligent, fond of show, but extremely inconstant, the fruit of excessive vanity. That's a picture of the American population today. One comes along and runs for office, and we go for him. And in four years, we forget him. <laughs> and you remember who was president eight years ago? Remember who was president 10 years ago, 20 years ago? May I say to you, we are very fickle people, and we're not very constant. And I'm very happy that they said we're eminently intelligent because we think that, and the reason we think it, because it's the fruit of excessive vanity. That's the picture of us. Now, they wanted to make Paul, you remember, a god one day, and the next day they stoned him. <laughs> and that's what we do. We elect a man a president, and then we try to kill him in office. It's quite interesting today, our system of government, that it has survived as long as it has. Now, the epistle to the Galatians, therefore, has a particular message for us because it was written to people who are like we are, like temper, who are beset on every hand by cults and isms innumerable. They had take us likewise from our moorings of the gospel of grace." Now, let me say a word about this epistle before we get into it. It's a stern, severe, and solemn message. We'll see it when we get into it. It does not correct conduct, as the Corinthian letters do, but it is corrective. The Galatian believers were in grave peril. Why? Because the foundations were being attacked. Everything was threatened. And the epistle, therefore, will contain no word of commendation. No word of praise. No word of thanksgiving. There is no request for prayer. There's no mention of their standing in Christ. No one with him is mentioned by name. And you compare this with other epistles of Paul, and you'll see this is a little different than the other. And in this epistle, the second thing that makes it unusual, 
the heart of Paul the apostle is laid bare. And there's deep emotion and strong feeling. Actually, this is his fighting epistle. He's got on his war paint here. He has no toleration for legalism. And someone has said that Romans comes from the head of Paul while Galatians comes from the heart of Paul. Or, put it like this, as a theologian has put it, Galatians takes up controversially what Romans put systematically. Well, that's all right. I'll accept that too. And then there's a third thing that makes this epistle outstanding. It is the declaration of emancipation from legalism of any type. A very interesting thing is the legalists do not spend much time with Galatians. It rebukes them too much, by the way. Now, this was Martin Luther's favorite epistle. And he made this statement. He says, this is my epistle. I'm wedded to it. And it was on the masthead of the Reformation. It's been called the Magna Charta of the early church. It's the Manifesto of Christian Liberty. It's the impregnable citadel and a veritable Gibraltar against any attack on the heart of the gospel. And as someone has put it, immortal victory is set upon its brow. And this is the epistle that moved John Wesley. You remember John Wesley came to this country as a missionary to the Indians. And when he got here, he made a discovery, a startling discovery. And he said this, I came to America to convert Indians, but who is going to convert John Wesley? And he went back to England and to London. And one night, walking down Aldersgate, and I was there not too long ago, and I had the guide take us to that place. And there is a marker put up there saying this is the place that John Wesley was converted. They call it an evangelical conversion. Well, that's the only kind of conversion the Bible knows anything about. And John Wesley went out to begin a revival preaching the gospel of this epistle that saved England from revolution and brought in a great revival that had more to do with affecting life than any other. Wilberforce, one of his converts, had a great deal to do with this matter of child labor, with the factories, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution that brought about the changes for the working man. But, of course, they don't recognize that today. Now, this is a great epistle that we're going to look at. And I believe that since it's been the backbone and the background for every great spiritual movement and revival that has come in the past 1900 years, that, my friend, it'll be the background of any other revival. And that's the thing I would like to see all of this wonderful moving of the Spirit of God in our land today. I'd like to see them come to the epistle to the Galatians and to begin to declare its message. And I believe it would revolutionize lives. I think it would do that. And I know it would do that. And we believe that teaching it now on radio, that will reach many people. And why don't you urge your friends, unsaved friends, to listen at this time to the epistle to the Galatians? Now, there's a fourth remarkable thing about this epistle. It is the strongest declaration and defense of the doctrine of justification by faith in or out of Scripture. It's God's polemic 
on behalf of the most vital truth of the Christian faith against any attack. Not only is a sinner saved by grace through faith plus nothing, but the saved sinner lives by grace. And in this epistle, we say that grace is a way of life, and it's a way to life. Both go together, by the way. Now, in this epistle, I've divided it, actually, into five divisions. And they're very simple. I hope you get our notes and outlines. You'll need them. First is the introduction in the first ten verses. Then there is that personal section, and then the doctrinal section, and then the practical section, and then the autograph conclusion. It's a remarkable epistle. Now, I'll not go into detail of the outline. I trust you don't have it. You'll send in and get it. You're going to find notes that really be valuable to you when we come to this epistle here. Now, I want us to come to the first chapter here, and we have the introduction, and that's in the first ten verses. And in this, why you have the salutation is a cool greeting in the first five verses, and then the subject is stated, and it's a warm declamation in verses 6 through 10 here at the beginning. Now, as we have already said, Galatians is God's polemic against legalism of every and any description. Now, the law is not discredited here. It's not despised. It's not disregarded. Its majesty, its perfection, its demands, its fullness, and purpose are maintained. Yet these very qualities make it utterly impossible for man to come this route to God. Another way is open to us, which entirely bypasses the law, for man to be justified before God. The new routes by faith, justification by faith, is the theme with the emphasis upon faith. And this statement from Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith, is quoted in the three major epistles, Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. And in the epistle to the Romans, the emphasis is upon the just, justification. In Hebrews, the emphasis is upon the just shall live, and it's upon shall live. And in Galatians 3.11, where it's quoted, the emphasis is upon by faith, so that you have three points of emphasis. The just in Romans shall live in Hebrews by faith in Galatians. And we find here, as we get into this, that Paul is really warm when he begins writing this epistle. So, there have been two methods that have been used by those that have attacked the gospel. They attempt to add something to it, and then they attempt to discredit the man who preaches the gospel. As we've said before, the method of Satan today is to not attack the Bible with a frontal attack. As you know that in warfare, that's not always a good method unless you have superior forces. And the way that you do is not to make a frontal attack, but a side attack. You bivouac. You deploy your troops, and you come from other angles. Well, the enemy today doesn't make a frontal attack on the Bible. The attack is made always subtly. 
and it's generally made upon the man who's preaching the Word of God. And that's the reason the fundamentalist has been attacked so bitterly today. man said to me the other day, said, I understand that you're a fundamentalist. And I said, yes. And he laughed. And he said, well, you know, I've always thought about the fundamentalists as they're no fun and they always meddle. Well, and he laughed. He thought that was new. Well, I've heard that ever since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I've heard that expression and wasn't new at all. Well, that is always the attitude that you're somehow or another, as one man said, you're an intellectual obscurantist. Now, I don't know what that is, but it's not good. And that's the method that's used today. And you find out that they're going to make an attack upon Paul and upon his apostleship, upon his authority. And that's the way it starts out. Paul is defending his apostleship here at the very beginning. And it's a very cool greeting to those people that he had led to the Lord and established the churches there. And he visited them on every one of his missionary journeys. Now let's get our foot in the door of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul is saying here that he is an apostle, and the way that he's saying it, I don't think that any parenthesis that we have here is really necessary. The word apostle is really used in a twofold sense. It could be one of the twelve those that were with Jesus during his three-year ministry, those that were witness of his post-resurrection ministry, and then those that were chosen by Christ. Then an apostle could be one who was sent forth, used in a wider sense. And I think Paul, in our judgment, that is, in my judgment, I think he took Judas's place. I think that he is the one... The man that they voted on, Mattathias, I can't find him mentioned anywhere else. And if the Holy Spirit chose him, certainly somewhere along the line he'd set his seal that this man was an apostle. Paul proved he was an apostle, but Mattathias never did. And I take it that that was just an election held before Pentecost. And that's before the Holy Spirit came into the church and for that reason, I don't think it was ordered of the Holy Spirit, by the way. And there are a lot of elections in the church today that the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with either, which is quite obvious. But at that time, it's quite obvious because the Spirit of God had not come. I believe Paul is the one that the Spirit of God chose to take Judas's place. And now Paul is saying something here. It's rather important. He says he's not of man. And the preposition apo here in the Greek conveys the meaning of not from man. That is, it's not legalistic. He was not an apostle by appointment or commission after attending a school or taking a prescribed course. And then he says he's not by man. And the preposition dia indicates that it was not through man. And that just simply means that he didn't have the other apostles lay their hand on his head and say, Hocus Pocus, Acrocadabra, you're an apostle. He is an apostle. How? By Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus called him directly, and God the Father did. 
the one who had raised Jesus from the dead, and it was the resurrected Christ who made Paul an apostle. That's important to get right here at the beginning. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Well, we're just getting started in Paul's cold greeting to the Galatians. Be sure to join us next time as Paul shifts from cold to hot, hot under the collar, that is. It's going to be a great study. If you'd like to invite a friend to hop aboard the Bible bus with you, why don't you tell them to visit their app store and download our app or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE and we'll tell you how you can gift them with Dr. McGee's entire five-year study that's available in a couple of really practical and inexpensive ways. As always, you can write to us at BibleBus at ttb.org or by mail at Through the Bible, Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109, or in Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1, or leave a post on our Facebook page. Now, as we go today, let's commit to read ahead through Galatians 2 and then ask the Lord to prepare our hearts for what He has in store as we journey through the Bible together. I'm Steve Schwetz, so grateful for your company today and every day as the Bible bus rolls along. Jesus came home, to him I Sin had left a crimson grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.